We call this God's proving ground, consecration, Judges 6, 25 through 32. As we've been looking at this, this is the life of Gideon, really just chapter 6. And we've been looking at Gideon as a blueprint for leadership. And one of the things we said is that everybody's called to some form of leadership. It's not just all being a president or a CEO or an apostle or a pastor, but as a mom, you're a leader. Even as a student, you, you can lead the student body. Everybody, even if you never go anywhere high in Jesus or high in the world, everybody's called to lead somebody to Jesus Christ. In that case, you're a leader. And how about just leading yourself? One of the things Dr. Barclay has said is that about 70% of leadership is leading yourself. Where a lot of Christians fail is that they fail to see that they themselves are called to lead just themselves. One of the things we emphasize big time around here is that you have to have a walk with Jesus. One of the frustrating things, or maybe, I don't know, it's one of those teetering things as a pastor. Uh, you you want to check on people, but some folks get in a state of mind, if you check on them too much, they think you're trying to be controlling. So then you don't go check on them, then they feel neglected. So then you go check on them and then, then they'll say, because we've had people say this to us, well, you're just trying to control me. Well, come on, if you would lead yourself to the house of God on a regular basis, we wouldn't have to check on you so much. And if you could lead yourself to prayer on a regular basis, we wouldn't have to check on you. If you could lead yourself, we wouldn't have to lead you as much. That's the same thing with children. With children, you lead them in everything. This is how we potty train. This is how we eat with our hands. This is how we eat with a fork, that we don't throw things. And you're hoping that your kids get it. And, and usually they do. And so as they get older, you stop leading them. And you get to where you lead them less and less because you have put in them the ability to lead themselves in right and wrong decision-making. And we try to model that simple thing here in the local church too. It doesn't always work because as we know, Paul said, some of you are spiritual babes, not you guys, but the Corinthian church. Hopefully here we're raising up mature men and women for Christ. So even, even if you're not ever gonna be a pastor or an apostle, you're not gonna be an executive over a company, and even if all you are is a single individual the rest of your life because you choose to be that way, you can still lead people to Jesus. You still have to lead yourself in a Christian walk and you can lead uh, things coming and going. You can at least give directions when somebody asks. Everybody's called to some form of leadership. So that's why we're looking at Gideon. We cannot look at this as just, well, I'm, I'm not a preacher. Well, everybody is called to preach the gospel, but I understand what you're saying. There's still many things for us to learn out of these stories. They were written for every Christian, not just those called to be some kind of you know, missionary or something. So let's look at this. We're calling this God's proving ground of consecration. This is a teaching or the term consecration, the subject of consecration is something very much lost in America. So we want to bring it back. Some churches have never lost it, but generally speaking, churches don't talk about consecration because it, it lessens the numbers. Well, there's a good way for Gideon to keep a big army. Never obey God. If Gideon, and never, never let the spirit of, of God flow, never let the rivers, never take the army to the rivers of God. That would have guaranteed a big army for Gideon. But he took his army of 10,000 at that point down to the river and God proved them and he lost most of his army, like, you know, like 98%, 99% of it. And there's a reason consecration is not a popular doctrine in America is because you lose troops over it. <laughs> but they're already lost to the world anyway. Amen. I am, uh, I'm not a stupid individual. 
And I know very well, Pastor Vaughn used to say it too, I think his, his things were different than what we're dealing with today, but he would say all the time, I know how to grow this church real big overnight. And it's just something as a pastor you know how to do. You can pick it up in the spirit realm, you know what needs to be compromised to pack it out. And now what Pastor Vaughn had to comp- would have compromised or had to compromise is different than today. In, back, in, back in the 90s and whatnot, we weren't talking about, he, didn't, he wouldn't have had to compromise consecration. People still like that kind of stuff. He would have had to compromise tongues and the move of the Holy Ghost, which he never did. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, what we're talking about is compromising con- uh, consecration, compromise integrity, compromise righteousness, compromise the Word of God, compromise uh, the things that make for holiness. If we compromise those, we can pack the house out because it's what the people want. Church growth is voted upon by attendance. And there's something weird, and we seem like we talk about this every Sunday, but there's something that goes on. When churches are growing in America, the fastest growing churches, they all have the same flavor. And it is one that lacks power. It is one that lacks reverence. And it is one that lacks consecration. Now, there'll always be a remnant in that group that really want God, always a remnant. But there's something going on when all these churches start to look the same. They all have the same flavor, the same hairstyle, the same skinny jeans, the same programs, the same lingo, the same speak. Something's going on. And so consecration is one of those doctrines that gets compromised because Christians don't want to be told to live cleaner. Christians in our country don't like to hear, it's not good enough, you're not clean enough. Christians want to be told, live how you want to, let's be part of community. I hate that word. Unless we're talking about community coffee from Louisiana, then it's a good word. But other than that, community has become such a, such a ridiculous term. You know, community, loving God, loving people, all these little catchphrases that means we're a watered-down church. All right, consecration. I don't know how we step off of Gideon to get onto that. Consecration, that's God's proving ground. Uh, the Greek word is hagiazo. It means to formally dedicate to divine purpose. This may be the most critical lesson out of all four for the hour that we're in. When you start talking about consecration, you're talking about formally dedicating something to divine purpose. And when that thing is formally dedicated, that's all it's used for. When you talk about consecration, think of like a doctor's scalpel that is sterilized and it is only used for one thing. And honestly, in this day and age, it's only used for one surgery. That is a consecrated utensil. All it does is what it was built to do. You don't go cut steak with it. You don't go do model airplane work with it. You don't go whittling on a canoe with it. You you know, you don't go cut an apple with it. It is used for one specific purpose. That's consecration. That is what we're talking about in the kingdom of God when we talk about Christians being consecrated. You are to be set apart for one purpose, and that is the kingdom's purpose. That doesn't mean you don't have a life. That doesn't mean you don't have a yard you care for. That doesn't mean you don't have a vacation. But in your heart, you know what you're built for. And in your heart, even if you're on the job, even if you're on vacation, even if you're cutting the grass, your heart still beats for the kingdom. That's consecration. To set apart for the holy use of God. We are the utensil. We are to be set apart for the holy use of God. 
Paul used kind of a play on Hebrew tradition or Hebrew custom when he said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels or jars of clay is one translation. That's where the band gets their title from. But they were holy utensils in the tabernacle and in the temple. And those were utensils, those were pots that were set apart, set apart for ritualistic cleansing. And that's all they were used for. And we are to be set apart as holy utensils for the use of God. And even, even Timothy tells us in a great house, there are many vessels, some to honor and some to dishonor. And if you will purge yourself from dishonorable vessels in the same house, you will be a vessel sanctified, which is also our word consecration, set apart in meat or proper good for the master's use. That's why the name of the game in these last days is the world wants to taint your vessel, wants to take you and put a little bit of the world in you. Doesn't mind if you have a little bit of God in you, but put a little bit of the world in you and let you be violated and be used for all sorts of things because the devil knows if he can get you being used for all sorts of things, when you come back to the house of God, God's not going to use you. Anybody want to have surgery done on you with a scalpel that was used to cut a horse's hoof? Anybody, anybody want, I don't know what kind of scalpels they use in, in dental surgery, but anybody want to have their guts opened up with something that was in somebody's mouth? You want a utensil that is holy and set apart, clean, sterile, before they go cutting your guts open. Anybody want a cup we just got out of the trash to drink Coke out of? You want something set apart and proper for your use. Even at the, at the restaurant, you, uh, waitress, I'm sorry, there's a little bit of something green stuck on my spoon. Can I get another spoon? Oh, it's been sterilized. It's just baked on there. Well, you can go bake me another spoon if you want, but I'm not eating this one. And they understand that. You know, nobody likes to get the cup at the restaurant that's got some grandma's lipstick just baked on it. Bright red, you know, she's been wearing the same color since the late 70s when it went out of style. To cleanse externally, we're born again, so we know we're, we're sealed with the Holy Ghost, we're the righteousness of God inside, but this is really talking about an outside cleansing, your holy life outside, your holy life outside. We know it's dependent on our soul, but it, we're gonna see this on the outside. To separate from profane things and dedicate to God. And the synonym, that is a word that means the same thing but is different, is sanctify. Sanctify and consecrate are the same words, it's synonymous. But to dedicate, excuse me, to separate from profane things and dedicate to God. Some of the most profane things you'll have to purge yourself from are friends. Some of the things you'll have to purge yourself from in these last days will be friends. And if Christianity, if your walk with Christ hasn't cost you a friendship yet, you've not been walking with God long enough. Just wait. You're going to have to lose a friend eventually. Now, some of us, we've lost everybody we could possibly ever lose. And God has given us new friends. But something will probably happen so that in the future you'll purge yourself from them, too. Not that you want to. Not that you're looking for excuses to. But Paul kept walking with God and people departed from him. And he didn't go chasing after them. We don't chase after people. We don't chase after people. Right. You can do more in prayer on your knees in five minutes for that person than you can hanging out with them and them poisoning you. Mm -hmm. So don't let the devil deceive you into thinking, well, if I'm not their friend, they won't go to church. They can go to church without you. <laughs> if they want God bad enough, there's one on every corner here in the States. Right. In Cookville, there's four on every corner. 
So don't, don't let the devil talk you into contaminating your vessel, your soul, your body, because the devil's told you you're the only hope they have. If their hope's in you, they're failed, they're, they're doomed anyway. The one of the greatest things you'll have to purge yourself from is friendships, and it may be even family. Jesus Christ said, I have come to bring a sword of division. Mother will be separated against daughter, father against son, brother against sister, and this is just the way it is. If you're not prepared for that kind of Christian walk, you're not prepared to walk in the gospel. Jesus was very clear about this as well. And I think one of the things we're seeing in America is that we're being told we can dictate our walk with Jesus. You cannot prove that from the Bible. We do not dictate our walk with God. We don't have a say in it. We don't get to amend the contract. We walk with Jesus Christ on his terms. Otherwise, he leaves us. Now, he doesn't leave us. We understand that. But you're going to be backslid. And the second, you, what getting your heart right, a rededic rededication, rededication is, is, Lord, forgive me. I'm going to walk with you on your terms again. Backsliding is you trying to walk with God on your terms. And so you slide backwards because it's never at the same pace God walks at. And so when we rededicate our lives, what we're saying is, Lord, forgive me. I try to do things my way. It's cost me miserably. I let friends in. They have ruined me. And so forgive me, Lord. I'll leave it all behind to run with you. You can't take anybody to heaven with you on your coattails. Even Paul, he told the church at Ephesus, he says, I now depart and I shall see your face no more. Therefore, I commend you to the grace of God. There comes a time when you have to walk away from people and just say, Lord, you have to take care of them. There comes a time in every Christian's life, if you're walking with God, he will ask you and probably be more like a command to walk away from somebody and say, you'll have to say in your heart like Paul did, I will see you no more. Therefore, I commend you to the grace of God. What we did as Americans and as part of our culture, we want to put our hands on everything and everybody thinking that we can drag them into heaven with us. If I can have my hand on their life when the rapture happens, they'll go with me. You can't even get them into church. You can't even make them love God. You can't even talk them into reading the Bible. You have no authority over any person except for yourself and children till they grow up and leave. And even then you got to be praying for your kids every day. And even with the authority you have over your flesh, you got to be praying for your flesh every day that you can master it. We, we have really deceived ourselves into thinking, if my hand is upon will, I can consecrate him. The Bible says, touch not the unclean. And if my heart keeps its hands upon will, it's going to contaminate me. I have to be able to love will, pray for will, have guarded fellowship with will. And in the end, if the Lord says, walk away, I walk away and I don't look back. That's the very thing the Lord told a lot. When you leave Sodom, don't look back. And we know his wife did. And, and as we teach around here, it's not because there's some kind of Medusa style power on the judgment of God on, on uh, Sodom. It's not like, you know, you, the Greek mythology, you look at Medusa and you turn to stone. And so what you do, we had to take the polished shield and look at the reflection to cut her head off. No, what happened, what it represents is she looked back at all the judgment and she missed her children, she missed her high school reunion. That's where mom and dad, that's where we vacation. That's my dream home. She, she, what about all my nieces and nephews? And she looked back in her heart. Romans is very clear though. We shall all stand before God and give an account for ourselves. 
Nobody will be standing with you there. It'll be you and God face to face. I don't believe many Christians will be prepared for it. But if you can walk with God face to face now and let him judge you on a daily basis or a weekly basis and you get used to that now, when you get into before the great white throne of God or the, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, you've been there your whole life. Hey, Jesus, I know I've really messed up, but we were talking about it right before I came here. Lord, whoa, we were just talking about that in my prayer closet and here I am. Let's continue. That's what the kind of walk we have to have with God. I don't fear the judgment seat of Christ. I'm very well aware of all my mistakes right now and I talk to him about them almost every day. I don't fear judgment at all. I know I'll have a lot to account for, but I don't fear it. Some Christians are afraid to come to the altar. Some Christians are afraid to come to church on a regular basis. Some Christians have such a, 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 a lacking walk with God, they can't even open the Bible because it, it's so hard on them. If we consecrate ourselves, we're constantly putting ourselves before God for his use, for his dedication, separating ourselves from profane things. And there may be nothing more profane in the earth today than people. People invent profane things. You can be in a store full of profane things and just you can still stay clean. Just close your eyes. And I've been through, walked through some of those stores. <laughs> but now when you come up with a person who invents those things, the second they open their mouth, it goes in your ears and into your soul and contaminates you from the inside out. That's why we walk away from people and we don't shed a tear. You will do more for those people on your knees praying five minutes a day than you'll ever be able to do with them in public with them defiling you. Consecration is an external thing because you have an internal thing that wants it. So let's move on here. The root word for hagiazo is hagios. Hagios is the Greek word for saint and holy one. So technically, and I think I go on to say this in this paragraph, you don't have a right to be called a saint and you won't be called a holy one without consecration working in your life. You can't really be called a holy one or a saint. Now we know if you're born again, you're a saint, but you can't really be called a holy one. You're not referenced as a holy one in the Bible, except that consecration is working in your life because consecration is the process of you ever getting more and more holier. And the world tries to mock you and says, you just think you're holier than me. Yes, I am holier than you. You drink, you cuss, you tattoo yourself, you fornicate, you mock God, you skip church, you watch pornography, you tell dirty jokes and you gossip on Facebook. That's the definition of your life. Let's review my life. I pray. I go to church. I, I repent of my sin. I clean my mouth up. I, I, I witness to folks. I read my Bible. I serve in my church. All those are holy things. So, yes, I am holier than you. I don't look down my nose at you because I'm clean and you're dirty. You just crawled out of a cave. I just got out of the shower. I'm cleaner than you. But if you want to hop in the shower, you can get clean too. So they, they, the world has put that on us to try to make us back off and say, oh, oh, I didn't mean to offend you. When they open up their flapper, 
and they say something as ignorantly stupid as you just think you're holier than me, it just proves you have nailed them and convicted them. They don't tell their dirty friends that. Nobody ever says, you just think you're dirtier than me. You just think you're more profane than me. You just think you're more demonized than me. Nobody ever races to be dirty, but they mock those of us that want to be clean. We can infer from the Greek language that it would be difficult for one to be considered a saint or a holy one without being consecrated. Every Christian must live a consecrated life. Leaders must live an even greater life of consecration. You guys know this as parents. The language you can use and not think anything of it, you definitely don't want your kids picking up. And maybe the way, because kids model everything you do, and so you have to be very mindful of it. Lidster now, she, she has a little Dyson vacuum cleaner. We don't even tell her. She puts her vacuum cleaner up in the corner, any corner, because that's where we put it. So she has learned just by watching where we put the vacuum, her little vacuum, so when she's done with it, she stands it upright, turns it off, and sets it in a corner somewhere. And then she, she'll make sure it stands, and then she'll march off and do something else. We didn't even teach her that. She learned it by reading the epistle of our life. If you're going to be a leader and be an epistle that people can read, you've got to live an even more consecrated life. The calling of God for leadership does not alone qualify you for leadership. So just because you're called doesn't actually make you one. Consecration is one of the most vital ingredients to fulfilling the call of God. Consequently, the quickest way to disqualify yourself from leadership is through sin. Sin takes you down instantly. You'll spend 10 years, 20 years qualifying yourself for a great position and sin will destroy you just like this. The former president of a company I worked for for several years, CEO, international engineering firm with offices in Dubai and China and uh, I don't know where else we had them, India. We bought a company in India all over the States. I won't say his name, but that you would never know him. You know, he's in his, he was in his late 60s, early 70s when I met him and knew him as our president and CEO of our company. And you spend a lifetime building that career. He was fired and arrested for child porn and is now serving federal time in a prison in Florida. My former CEO of an international civil engineering firm building stuff in Dubai spent his whole life getting there and sin, just in the natural sin, just like that, he went from making a lot of money to serving federal prison time because the IT guy found child porn on his personal or his company computer. And he's the one making the laws for the company that you have to sign. We had to sign internet agreements. You will not use the internet for illegal activity. Yeah, that's a reasonable request. <laughs> Even in the natural, sin will destroy you. And how much worse when you run with people that are sinful. My pastor has pointed out that if the devil can't get to you, he can get to your friends. And if you don't let him in your life, your friends will. And he will directly influence you through the friends you keep. And that's why sometimes you got to just start purging and pruning friends off your life. Because I've determined nobody's going to love God more than me. Nobody's going to want God more than me. And when I meet somebody that does, I'm going to look at how they do it and I'm going to get better at it. And probably in your life, nobody loves God more than you. So you need to start pruning some folks. And if those are folks that talk you out of going to church, cut them off. Folks that mock you for studying the Bible, that's not a friend. Folks that teach you to cuss, drink, and smoke, those are not friends. Those are enemies. 
Those are enemies. And that's not a life of consecration. So walk away from them. Next section, the, the more consecrated you are, the more God will use you. I think we all want to be used of God. God does not use dirty vessels. Rather, he commands us to purge ourselves from those who are dirty and dishonorable. Was any, we, we, of course, we have the little girl. You guys know that. Would anybody uh, else want your child to eat out of something dirty? Dirty cup, dirty bowl. You don't even want your kids playing in the trash can. You know, Manda has taught Lydia, shooey, shooey, that's trash, shooey. So now Lydia, even when we were, in, we were in a store the other day, Lydia walks over to the trash can, looks at it, and <laughs> she didn't say shooey, but, you know, she did, and then she walked away. Actually, then she found trash on the floor in this furniture store, and she starts picking it up and putting it in the trash. And it was embarrassing for the guy there that this 15-month-old is picking up his trash and putting it in his company's trash can was even more sad as I was there a week earlier and that same trash was on the floor still. Ceiling tile had crumbled and they didn't bother to clean it up. I was there five days later, the crumbs, crumbles were still on the floor and my little girl starts picking up their ceiling tile parts. <laughs> Shooey. <laughs> you know, God doesn't want his kids eating out of dirty vessels. Just like you don't want your kids eating out of dirty vessels and you and I are the vessels and there's all sorts of children of God around us that want to eat from us, that we influence, that we disciple, that we have a say in. If you want to be used greater of God, you got to clean yourself up. And figure out if there's anything in your life tainting you, figure it out. Figure out what it is. Cut it off. A TV program, an Internet habit. And that's not just porn. That could be sports. That could be news, uh, friends, Facebook, Twitter. I've got folks in the church. They've quit Facebook because they got convicted. And then a month later, they're back on Facebook. Make up your mind. Did God speak to you in a service or not? Make, make up your mind. Did God tell you to walk away from that friend or not? I can't quit you. Didn't they say that in that movie about gay cowboys? That's the famous quote from that movie. I can't quit you. Christians say the same thing. God told me to walk away from you. I can't quit you. But you can quit God? How come God always gets walked away from? Christians have mastered walking away from God, but not sinful people. Well, if I walk away from them, who will witness to them? Oh, I don't know, like 10 million other Christians who are more stronger than you? Who have more influence than you? Who are not so soulishly connected and tied in slavery to them than you? They have the ability to come along. It's like that dumb Southern doctrine that says, you know, God, God broke my leg in that car accident so I could witness to that nurse at the hospital. Like God doesn't have a thousand other Christians in that woman's life that can witness to her. He had to thump you in the head, break your leg. Why couldn't you just go in with the sniffles? Why couldn't you just bump into her at Kroger? And she has on her scrubs and, you know, still name badge and maybe her stethoscope and the Lord speak to you. It's just as dumb to think you're the one called to win this person who's ruining your life. It's just as ignorant, especially when this is the one that's hurting you more than anybody. And the devil knows how to play on your little pseudo doctrine to keep you there. I can't quit you. How else will you be one? How, who else will love on you? God. 
and about a thousand other people who probably are better than you to win them to Jesus. You'll find that you'll have more trouble winning those closest to you. You'll have more influence on total strangers than you ever will your family members. That was Jesus' testimony and we're no better. It'll be the same with your neighbors sometimes. You don't need to preach at your neighbors every day. You just need to live it in front of them and, and be kind to them. My parents asked me yesterday, have you witnessed to your neighbor to invite him to church? I said, when we first moved in here, everybody that was over at the house was preaching to Mr. Jim. I just live it in front of him. He knows exactly where I am. He knows where I live. And he knows if he needs prayer, he can come to me. But I don't preach at him every day. That'll kill the friendship. But he knows exactly who and where I am. And he knows what I stand for. And so do the neighbors across the street. The neighbors across the street, uh, the pastor from Bangham Heights came door to door witnessing through our neighborhood because they're just right down the street. And I was so excited, got to meet the pastor. They went next door across the street to our neighbors. The neighbors slammed the door in their face. No problem. Since then, that was about a year, actually less than a year because they have only lived there less than a year. I've not only been in their house several times, they've asked me about the things of God. They've asked me about our church. They've gone and visited a local church and I didn't have to go throw it on them. So you have to use a little bit of wisdom in how you do this thing. Those that are closest to you, you can't get up in their face. And often it's those that are closest to you that will pull you down because they have that influence. So I don't know, let's move on here. The life of Gideon teaches us about God's expectation of consecration from his called leaders. Let's look at Gideon's consecration, next section. Though God had called Gideon and Gideon had answered the call in his heart, God still had to prove Gideon through consecration. Now we see this a lot through rededication services, through prayer lines and rededication altar calls. People rededicate. And in a sense, they're answering the calling of God to walk with me closer, he says. The Lord says, walk with me closer. And in a service, people get under conviction. Oh, oh, and I'm not making fun of that. But the Spirit of God is on them, convicting them. They make an altar call. They make a decision. They may even come down. God called them, they answered. But what they begin to lack is the consecration. And how many times do people dedicate and rededicate and rededicate and rededicate and rededicate and rededicate and rededicate? And there's nothing wrong with rededication. Thank God for it. It means your heart is soft and open. But it would be better to rededicate once and then just consecrate. And rather than live a life of rededication, you live a life of daily consecration. And if we could learn to live a life of daily consecration, we'd never have to rededicate because you got up that morning and you were already dedicated. And if you want to in your prayer time every day, say, Lord, I just rededicate my life to you again today. Lord, I don't assume that I have dedicated anything to you today, so I just re-consecrate my heart. I rededicate my heart to you. And today, Lord, I'm gonna serve you with everything I've got. And if I mess up, I'm going to repent and make a little rededication right there and just keep on consecrating. But what happens, and we'll probably see it next service because it will be Easter service and we'll see people here that we never see. They might get convicted, want to rededicate and we won't see them again until next year. That rededication didn't do them any good. It just showed that their heart was still soft and pliable to God for the time being. So the world can harden it some more, God forbid. Consecration is the act of God proving you. So let's read this and then we'll prove that statement out. 
Judges 6, 25 and 26. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath. And cut down the grove, that means the totem poles. Anytime you see the word grove, just envision a bunch of totem poles. It, it became grove like an orchard grove because there were so many wooden poles that they would worship. It looked like a forest or a grove in rows. Think of totem poles because that's basically what it is. An Ashtaroth pole, just a demon pole. You know, you think of it as an American, that is stupid. Worship a totem pole? Why would you carve something and then worship it? That's dumb. That's some of you guys worship your past. It just sits there. You carved it out. Doesn't say anything. Doesn't do anything. You got all these ugly faces on it. Well, <laughs> that was the year I did this. And then there was that atrocious thing I did. And, you know, and it's almost like <laughs> monkeys. Monkey, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. We have them in our heart. So just when you read the Bible and you come across Grove, think of a whole bunch of totem poles that Native Americans worship. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. Now we've gone, in years past we went through that in much detail, but I want to kind of simplify it. The Lord comes to Gideon and says, all right, you've answered my call. You have dedicated your life to me. Now prove it. And the first place he started was in his home. And he said, you've committed your life to me. Stand against your father. Stand against, now not in rebellion, not in defiance, but your father is a sinful pagan worshiper. Stand against the sin in your home. Now you can't divorce yourself from your dad, but you can divorce yourself from dirty friends. You can't divorce yourself from a spouse. God would not have that. But you can divorce yourself from bad brothers or sisters. I want you to see that the first place God begins proving consecration is at home with relationships. At home with relationships. Or we could say those that are closest to you. Now, this is the unfortunate thing. And I was going to try to teach this Wednesday. The Bible talks about Christians with the stony ground, that they immediately receive the word with gladness. We might say for this morning's teaching, they immediately get so excited they want to rededicate their life. But then, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, they are offended. One of the things I mentioned Wednesday night is that much of the time the affliction comes from God himself. And some hardliner word of faith folks in the church didn't like that so much. They kind of tightened up on that. But even as I teach this this morning, one or two of you don't like the thought that you might have to walk away from somebody. That is pressure on your life from God to walk away from sin. Now, I know we were untaught by the word of faith perversions that God doesn't afflict you. I can, miss, I can prove that several places. Now, we know the devil proves you excuse me, afflicts you. But there is an affliction that comes from the word of God. The word affliction just means pressure. That's all it means. Jesus Christ was pressured or afflicted in the garden. And just by talking about you having to walk away from people, the word of God is putting pressure on you. And we, we've, we've all, we testified to that Wednesday. All of us have felt the pressure from God to do something he asked us to do. Is that right? That's the Greek word affliction. So you can go ahead and argue with me you want, but I'll, I'll prove it circles around you with the word of God. 
There's a pressure instantly on Gideon to go do this. And we know because he's afraid. The pressure came from the word of God. Now, if you want to argue, maybe then his flesh put the affliction on him. I don't know. But the source was from God. In fact, the Lord says, I'll try you in the furnace of, you know, come on. God wasted no time proving Gideon. And when you claim you want to serve God, he will prove you. And that pressure will come from him. We've all had the spirit of God squeeze on us. Go witness to that person. Give in this offering. And there's an affliction there on your soul. And it's tight and it's pressurized and you don't want to do it. But if God's going to use you, you've got to be willing to walk away from stuff. That's the message of consecration. You've got to be able to walk away from people. And unfortunately, many Christians have walked away from God in order to keep a friend. We've all seen that. We know people who've done that. We maybe have done that at times in our life. Many Christians have said, Lord, I'm not going to obey you because I want to stay close to this person. And you know full well in your heart God's asking you to walk away. But you can't handle the affliction. And the Bible says in Mark 4, and because of the affliction, they are offended. How could God ask me to do that? How could God ask me to walk away from somebody I love? He never gave you permission to love them in the first place. The relationship was illicit. The relationship was illegal. That's how you could do this thing. That's how you could, uh, uh, God could ask you to walk away from somebody you love. If you're not careful, you start to sound like the pro-homosexual preachers in the land that say, you can't help who you fall in love with. And God is love and God is for love. And so if you feel love for somebody you shouldn't, God is for that because God is for love and you have love. That's the reasoning some of these weirdos are using. And Christians, even heterosexual Christians, use the same excuse to marry the wrong person, to stay with the wrong person, to keep a wrong relationship. And God's putting a pressure on you to consecrate yourself so he can use you. What happens is we don't trust God that he knows better. And we don't trust that God has something better in store for us. So what we end up doing is keeping junk or subpar or sub will of God for uh, we keep that so we don't have the gold of God or the mercy of God or the power of God. And it's a dangerous situation to be in. You've got to live a life where you're willing to put everything on the altar of God. You've got to be willing to live a life where you put everything on the altar of God, every friendship, every relationship. Unless you're married, you've got to be willing to walk away from anybody you're dating or engaged to. You've got to be willing to walk away from mom and dad, should you have to, or at least their influence. How about we say it that way? Walk away from the power of the influence. Mom and dad will always be your mom and dad, but they don't have to control you with their opinions like they always have. One of the greatest things you need to be delivered from is the opinion of people. How come we'll serve the opinion of man, but not the word of God? Consecration will set you free. The same day Gideon accepted God's call on his life, the Lord gave him an assignment. We can learn a few things from this passage. And this assignment was God's proving ground of consecration. This assignment was God's proving ground of consecration. And the second you rededicate your life to God and you determine in your heart you're going to serve God, he's going to take you at your word and he's going to prove you. And some folks never pass the test. 
They can't make the changes. They don't want to make the changes. With their mouth, they want to make the changes. In their heart, they don't want to, but in their heart, they don't want to be, they don't want God against them, so they'll do anything. Uncle, uncle, uncle. And God lets them go. Just kidding. It's like Jacob wrestling with God. I quit, quit. I give, I give, I give. I'll serve you. And I, I, I let go, let go. And I'm not going to serve you. And we do that. We can't stand the pressure of a church service and the anointing of God. So we'll dedicate and rededicate and reconsecrate. But that lasts till we go into the world. And yet God's given us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. If we really mean it, then you get after it. And consecration proves if you really mean it. What are you willing to get rid of? The only reason things are hard to get rid of is because you have erected them in your heart. When things aren't in your heart, they're easy to get rid of. But when you've erected the idol in your heart, boy, it's hard to get rid of. When mom and dad mean more than, to you than the world, it's hard to walk away from them. When that, that hobby means more to you than the world, oh my gosh, what will we do, Lord? It'll be hard to get rid of. But when God means more to you than the world, you can look at anything in your life and say, Lord, you can have it. So let's look at some things here. God's plan for consecration began immediately. God's plan for consecration began in Gideon's home. I've had, we've actually not meant to, but we've run off a lot of Christians here because they weren't willing to get their home life right. We have, we've had many folks come to this church that were living and sleeping together. And they weren't willing to stop fornicating. And they weren't willing to stop living like animals out of the will of God. So they ended up leaving our church to find a church that wouldn't deal with them about their sin. If you really want God, you'll get rid of anything or change anything it needs to be changed to get God. How come we'll do this with hobbies and toys and whatever? We'll, we'll make whatever changes is necessary to get the season tickets. We'll make whatever change is necessary to go on the trip. We'll make whatever change is necessary to buy this. But when it comes to God, we won't sell anything to buy the field that contains the pearl of great price or the treasure hidden in the field. So I, I've inadvertently run people off because they didn't want to stop fornicating and living together. The world even has a derogatory term for it. It's called shacking up. Even the world doesn't respect it. And, and if we'll borrow the world's term, you have shacking up. It just sounds like you're living in poverty because you are living in spiritual poverty, you are shacking up and you're out of the will of God. And on the other end of the spectrum is holy matrimony. At least gays want to try to play married. You have some Christians, they don't even want to get married. They just want to shack up and have orgasms. At least the gays who don't even have God want to try to make something right out of it in their own weird way. And you got Christians that think it's totally acceptable to shack up as in a poverty shanty. Now, I'm not for gay marriage. I'm not against homosexuals, just their sin. But how come gays say we ought to be married? And Christians want to shack up and say, what's wrong? <laughs> You have shacking up and holy matrimony. And if you're shacking up, there's nothing holy about you. But you can fix that. You can fix that if you want to. I don't know where we learned that shacking up was acceptable, but it's never been acceptable in the eyes of God. Maybe your perverse friends taught you that it was acceptable. God doesn't teach that. God wants you to live clean. 
He wants you to live holy. As we've been talking about here, dirty vessels, nobody wants to use them. You're not going to eat food out of a, a muddy bowl. You're not going to drink water out of a muddy cup. And God's not going to use a dirty vessel. Clean is better. Aren't clean sheets better? Anybody want to go to a hotel with dirty sheets? Will Hutchinson has a dirty mattress story from college. We moved into, we, we met in college our freshman year at the dorms. And, you know, they, you go into the dorms the first day of college and the mattresses are set up against the, the wall and uh, you have to flip them, you know, fold them down to, uh, to then make your bed. And they do it to air them out. I'm sure make the bed bugs fall out of them. And so Will's, Will's mat, you know, they're all just single beds. Will's has this bad stain from number two, you know, right here. It's about that big. He's like, ooh. So he flips it over. On the other side, it was about this big. <laughs> Clean mattresses are better than dirty mattresses. <laughs> Amen. Clean cars are better than dirty cars. Clean dental tools are better than dirty dental tools. Clean surgeons are better than dental surgeons. And which is better, a clean Christian or a dirty Christian? Who's God going to use? Clean Christian. That's why this message is not taught much. Because dirty's just easier. Dirty's just easier. Yep. And it sends people to hell every day. And you're better than that. You've been born again, washed in the blood, cleansed by the washing of the word. Choose better. I could grow a big church by backing off sin, but I have not been authorized or asked of God to back off sin. If you don't want me to deal with your sin, go to a different church where they'll lie to you. At least here you get the truth. Father, I thank you for this lesson. Father, we thank you for Sunday school. We've run out of time again, Lord. But bless us as we learn to consecrate our life, our body, our relationships. Speak to every one of us something to cut out of our life, and we will certainly cut it out. Lord, I thank you for helping keep us clean in this dirty day. In Jesus' name, amen.